Sam, we made it to a second episode together. Two in a row. It's going to be here. awesome. We're gonna, this is going to be part one and two, and we're going to have a fun conversation today. But it's uh, Monday. We've had some snow. And Sam, I'm thinking it's Christmas coming up. Yeah. I had a question for you before we start. So you have nine kids, right? Nine, right. Nine kids. And how many of those are married? How many came of the we, nine. when Amy and I were married? How many came? No. no. How many of the nine are married? Five. You got five. So that's 14. Uh-huh. Right? Right. And then how many grandkids? 16. So that's... There's 32 of us total. You got 32. So I'm just trying to figure out, like Angie and I just went through our list. We're trying to get these gifts. I mean, what do you even do with 32 people and gifts? I hand Amy money and right. I don't think about it again. And that's, do you budget all year for that? I mean, uh, yeah, we do a little bit and then we, you know, we, we get a bit of a bonus at the end. It's pretty sweet. And so yeah. we all are fine. But Amy's amazing at it and she so, has fun doing it. So what do you guys do though? In, in all honesty, you guys have, have a big meal. You get everybody together or you do it when you we can? We do the 23rd. We get together with, uh, it's Amy's dad's birthday. So it's okay. always this, you know, Joe and Jesus kind of thing, you know. And so we do a big family thing with the Brickley Brown. Uh, and so that makes it 60, 70 people um, because they're a big family too. And we all get together for the 23rd. The 24th, we all, our family, we stay the night, do a bunch of stuff. And so eating, games, it's fun. a talent show, all kinds of things. And so. then you've also had your own, own tradition, haven't you, is... Uh, you kind of get quiet for a couple of weeks, don't you? I do. Yeah, I stop yeah. having meetings. I'll slow down around Thursday this week and then lock in on. I know I know God's not on our yeah. calendar, but it's a good little stop for me to pause and think about so we can run run right in 20. The Lord's always actually spoken, have you? It's been There's amazing, been some, some actually. Times. I've been Eldorado. I go to Eldorado Lake quite yeah. a bit and sit. And so, um, yeah, so I'm excited about slowing down and listening. And I think we're on track, but just always want to yeah, listen. That's good. But yeah, one last thing. I, uh, I went ahead and did my own informal poll. Mm -hmm. And so I just asked people, and remember, we were who speaks louder and faster. Right. And then everybody agreed you did. And then it was funny. They had this optional question, and they said, I was better looking. Is that right? Yeah, that's just how that's, it came out. That seems biased. I want well, to see the actual the statistics on that. Test, so. You know, what's funny is I, I preach out at Reliance, and right. um, uh, Aaron Wallace talks pretty intense and yes, fast. He and he's too. got a lady, I can't remember her name, but she uh, does sign language. She's okay. wonderful. But uh, they said that she said that I talk way faster than him, and I think I broke her. I broke their sign language wow. lady. So. so Aaron Wallace, maybe we need to get him in, That'd and then great. the three of us. So. Yeah. Well, hey, we had a fun conversation about the, the house of prayer, kind of a culture of prayer. Again, I uh, encourage you to listen to that. But what we're, what are you meaning when we say a house of prayer, a culture of prayer? What do you mean by yeah. that, Sam? A house of prayer is the term we lifted up out of the scriptures from Isaiah 56 and from Matthew 21 when Jesus proclaimed it yeah. over the temple. And so uh, we're using a biblical term of identity that Jesus gave to the church. We're the temple of the spirit now. I'm using the phrase, we're in the middle of a house of prayer cultural revolution, meaning that there's a, a massive increase of prayer going on, that the church has at times and seasons through the centuries, lost its focus of being a people of prayer and presence. And so um, we mean, we used the phrase last time that we're having a kingdom dialogue with the king uh, as opposed to a ministry monologue for the king. So we're with the king, not just working right. for the king. And so we're using a biblical term that he wants us to pray without ceasing. Um, he wants us to be a people that are dialoguing and worshiping him. And then we're kind of adding that cultural revolution because I think culture arises from whatever our identity is, how we think about ourselves, how we speak, um, the habits we have. And so there is some 
culture that's been produced by being a house of planning as opposed to being a house of prayer. And again, I want to make sure that everybody knows I'm not against planning right. and strategy, yeah. but I am opposed to planning and strategy being the main thing because I think we'll start leaning on our own understanding instead of trusting the Lord with all of our heart. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I was been preaching uh, out of town and yeah, there's the Lord causes us to use our minds to think right. clearly, but it's just such an interesting when we start in presence, start with prayer and wait on the Lord. And then it just seems like the Lord will, he can, he can quickly lead our thinking, but if we're not praying often, then we're trying to strive, aren't we? And yeah. trying to, to figure out. So that's a great delineation because I think sometimes when you say prayer, people think you mean no working and no planning, no using your mind. And we don't mean that, but we mean a first vertical initiation yeah. with our hearts, with our God, and then a horizontal manifestation out from that. If yeah. You and we're going to talk about sonship um, today. We're going to introduce that theme, but I think of often I've watched you, Sam, how we do it. We'll be in a meeting. We were, you know, we'll, we'll be together. You're talking and then you, you're getting in an issue. And you're like, hey, we're going to pause actually to pray. Right. And you stop in the middle of the meeting. This isn't like, hey, pray 30 minutes, 30 minutes of meeting. There's not actually rules. It's actually being led, isn't it? Absolutely. And then inviting. And, and we've done that together. We're, we're, we were doing about the podcast and we were discussing ideas and we said, let's just pause for a second just wait on the Lord and actually he starts speaking and so that's something we're, we're wanting to teach a lot of people aren't we right because it, it becomes then more about I think prayer sometimes gets delegated to the thing we do at the end after we've thought and yeah. planned bless now what we've done as opposed to he's in the middle of yeah. the process and he's actually leading it and blessing it okay so let's talk this word sonship um, it's a fun word for me to think about a word probably, yeah, the last seven to, to eight years I've learned, but actually being with you at Disciple Nations, it's something really been big in my heart. And so we're going to dive in the word today. We're going to actually look, but why don't you set up this word when we talk about living in sonship? What do you mean by that? Well, it's a relational term. Um, we use it often, um, in comparison to the word slavery. Okay. So in both have proximity and have mission of what they're doing, yep. proximity to person, but sonship's linked to um, intimacy and inheritance. Okay. It's locked in to a relational intimacy and inheritance, then it manifests production or work or performance. Uh, slavery is the other way around. Slavery is I'm working for you and I'm performing and then I sometimes I'm performing so I have more intimacy or more inheritance, but it, it's backwards. Now, I would say this. There's a positive term of being bond slaves yes. of the scripture. We, we're not against that. We're obviously humble and giving our lives away and yep. we're choosing to serve him and not ourselves. But what we're saying is that the scriptures are pretty clear we're going to look at of inviting us into more than being slaves of God. And so would the word sonship be freedom? Do you think about that yes. word? Would you correlate that together? I would. It's freedom in the respect that it's in relationship with a, a loving okay. father, responding. It's not like free, like the prodigal. Yeah. He would uh, That looked like a counterfeit freedom. He's like, I want my inheritance yeah, it's not now. not do what you want to do. Yeah. So it was dividing <laughs> inheritance from intimacy. F true freedom has both dynamics. Intimacy, which is I'm in union yeah. and I'm working, 
and then the inheritance is operating and manifesting into production. And so, um, yeah, so freedom's in, in, in context, if you will. Okay, and then slavery, I often think of religious duty. Is that one way that we could think about slavery, or would you make that connection I would. at all? Yeah, I think that's good. It's, uh, it is a religious duty. It's really based on work, and uh, again, a work that is demanded without the relational dynamic, and so, and the love dynamic um, that can happen within that. And yeah. so, yeah, slavery be uh, contextualized by fear, we'll see. It's very fearful, yeah. uh, and, and the other places intimacy and it has a place for grace yeah. and strength so we're not gonna really go to the old testament but let me just right. set this up make sure i understand this right so so adam and eve were sons of god that's sons right and daughters yes. okay um god made them in his image so they're they're sons they were operating in partnership but then they sinned and as soon as they did they gave this authority and there was something that the enemy came in they lost what would you say they lost sonship at that point, or what? What happened when that sin? What What, what was the problem that happened there? Yeah. How would you say that? Well, the the sin itself um, caused the consequence. I mean, they immediately feel shame. They're putting clothes on, so shame is a manifestation of the opposite. Okay. Before they're right. in, in naked and free in the in the in the garden and walking with their God, and there's no sense of overbloated self-consciousness, if you will, but they feel shame and cover, and then they hide in fear from God, yeah. the God who loved them and made them, that then the consequence is they lose life. Yeah. I mean, that's the ultimate, is they become dead um, in themselves. And so, as Ephesians 2 will say, we're, as for you, you're dead in your trans or you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So they don't have the access to the tree of life anymore, or the intimacy of walking in the cool of the garden with God. There's a relational thing that happens with men they call upon the name of the Lord but it's definitely not the same because it's filled with shame with fear and with all that hiddenness yeah. and they're actually dying so really what we're slaves to at that point is not slaves of God but slaves of sin and Slave, slaves of self and slaves of self right and so we could unpack the whole testament obviously the story of Abraham's massive here right. but let's just talk about Jesus let's just jump in okay. so John 5 mm -hmm. is a place maybe to start so you want to John 5 19 yes and it says so Jesus said to them truly truly I say to you the son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the Father does, that the Son does also likewise. So help us understand what's going on here with Jesus and this relationship with the Father. What's he modeling for us? How is he operating? How do we see that even throughout the Gospels? Yeah, he's definitely modeling this and teaching them to come into this kind of relationship with prayers and things we'll talk about in a minute. But the context of that story in John 5 is really unique. Um, Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He healed a guy. Then he said, take up your mat yeah. and move. And then they really got frustrated the religious order that Jesus' healing dynamic and changing this guy's life had led to him breaking the Sabbath. And so um, that's the argument that's happening is they're saying, why'd you work on this day? His answer is in 517, my father's always at work. My father's always working. Then he links why he did what he did because he says, I'm working too, and I'm only doing what I see the Father doing. So what he tells us is he didn't wake up that morning going, I need to heal a guy. It's Sabbath, but I need to heal a guy because I'm a Messiah. He's saying, and he, he's, he's even saying, I didn't do that just to break the religious rules. That's not his point. Some people not trying are trying to offend people. Yeah. Some people are trying to be real religious and not offend anybody. Some people are on the other side, and it's still slavery, trying to just stand against everything that's religious. Jesus is saying, I'm not 
doing either one of those. What I'm doing is I'm walking in sonship with my father. I love my father, my father loves me, we're walking in a dialogue together. Out of that spins out manifestations. They happen on Sabbath, they happen on non-Sabbath. That's not really the most important thing to me. What's most important is my relationship with my father. So who are these Pharisees then? These were religious people, right? They were the keepers of the law. And why were they upset with Jesus? Well, they had perfected a system and a law and were locked in on every jot and tittle, if you will, of how that law manifested as opposed to relationship with the Lord. I actually believe that what we see coming out of their offense is 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 really the root issue of what, why we have the temple where it's yeah. at with the house of prayer cultural revolution. They're locked in on perfecting the sacrificial system and forgot the one that they were worshiping. They have got so focused on the Sabbath that they've lost the one who gave them the Sabbath that gave it to them to increase and rest their hearts in him. So the laws in the Old Testament, right? so that they got more focused on these words than the person that Absolutely. gave it. Absolutely. And that's always what can happen in our relationship. And actually the enemies involved in that process, there's beautiful principles. I'll often say we're not, uh, the church is a house of principles, not house of prayer sometimes. Well, I'm not anti-principle. We love the principles, right. but when I lock in on those and begin to serve those and not the one who gave it, and they become actually a means to an end relationship with him, then I begin to lose what it is. And I expand and we do the Deuteronomy 4.2, we add or subtract. We're constantly doing that to what God says. Yeah, and I, it's interesting is I, what I've seen, we've talked about this before, is I see the Lord often gives somebody revelation of an idea, something and unlocks some principles. But then really what fed that was a relationship with Jesus and it taught him how to plan a church, how to do something. But what happens is we often start, I don't know, marketing or these ideas right. and, and then we want to copy, oh, how did you do that, Sam? Or how did this person plant that church? And then we get suddenly now in ideas versus no, the actual thing was they were... Jesus taught them some things, but we don't necessarily have to teach those things for everybody, right? It's an amazing thing how the ways of God can become an, an idol, can become a distraction from God. Um, I remember the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts, right. there's this group That's and they're, a great story. they're trying to cast out a demon, they get beat up and, and the demon says, we know Jesus, we know Paul. They were yeah. saying in the name of Jesus who Paul yes. preached, and they were saying, we know them. Um, well, you know what I mean? We know about them and, and their authority, but we don't know who you are. And then they beat them up, and it shows that they were just using a deliverance yeah, method. Yeah, they had a, a deliverance method. This is They watched the method of Paul, but didn't connect to the man, Christ Jesus, that Paul was connected yeah. to. And they got their butts kicked. Yeah, they did. It was a rough deal. Yeah, they were. And so, yeah, so we talked, we got, that's that, we want to stay in sonship. So Jesus teaches us here, John 5, for whatever the father does, right. the son does likewise. So that does suggest there's a relationship here. That's right. So that comes primarily in prayer, doesn't it? It does. It does. By the Holy Spirit, our union, our abiding, we mean by prayer, conversation with the Lord and in a spiritual way. And so we see Jesus operating like this. We see him teaching his disciples yeah. to do this. And we'll see Paul do that. Like in Acts 16, he's on a mission strategy through an area and going to Bithynia and uh, and headed up through uh, through Asia. But that he gets stopped by the Spirit. The Spirit resists him from preaching the gospel. Well, see, that's going to be offending if you're thinking 
all we do, the law, we preach the gospel to everything and everything that, you know, but we do preach the gospel. I agree with that, but we do it in pace with the Holy Spirit's leading yeah. because the Spirit leads him over to Europe, to Macedonia, yeah. and says this is, so it's not just what we're doing, it's who we're doing it with that's vital to the mission. So it's interesting, I want to, just before we leave Jesus, obviously we'll stay with him, but as we look <laughs> at some passages with Paul, Jesus, again, he's modeling a son with the Father. That's an interesting dynamic, right? Yes. And we are, again, we're talking about we're the sons of God. So Jesus, was he modeling a life that's for us to live in this way? Absolutely. And, you know, he that was the fulfilled. We're getting close to Christmas, and Isaiah 9 yeah. will say uh, that prophecy to us, a son is given, a child is born, and a son is given. In his humanity, he's born as a start, but he eternally had been the son. And so he's manifesting sonship with his father because the Godhead is a relationship. Our God is a relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's coming and inviting people like Adam and Eve were in. Yeah. He's inviting through his restoration us back into that relationship. I, I was thinking about that verse in John 14, 6, where uh, they'll say, uh, show us the way. And he said, well, I've shown you that I am the way, the yeah. truth, and the life. No one comes to not heaven, right, to, the to the Father, except through me. Now, that leads to heaven and the new heaven, new earth, but it's to the, he's restoring relationship with the Father. This is his primary thing that manifests into heaven. Sometimes we preach the gospel, we come up short of yeah. that. And so he's trying to bring what Adam and Eve were in, what his eternal purpose had been, who he is. He's the first son among, among many brothers. Yeah, so he, it's, it's amazing to think how he invites us into this relationship. And we're called in Hebrews, we may get there in a second, but I mean, Jesus is our brother. That's right. I mean, we, yes, Lord, and, and all of that, but he, we're to be like him. We're invited into this. And, and I think sometimes, well, I want to end with that word shame a little bit, but the enemy constantly is lying us, keeping us back into what? Religious performance. That's right. And so I was thinking of this word confidence earlier today. I was talking with a friend. And sonship, let me see if I can make sure I get this right. Sonship is confidence in Jesus, confidence in who he is. Mm -hmm. Religious, and when I get in that, is confidence in me, confidence in what I do. Right, right. And I don't have to have con no confidence in what I can do, but I can be absolutely confident in my father. Absolutely. Right? I can yes. have confidence nonstop going to him, approaching mm -hmm. the throne of grace with confidence. Right. But on my own, without, I mean, my religious performance, I'm going to fail every time. Yeah. Slavery's rooted in my performance that leads to uh, non-satisfying dead works, constant, ever-increasing working. Sonship is rooted in Christ's performance, what he did, what he accomplished that leads to spirit-led intimacy. Yeah. And so there's a real difference in what that produces in health and life and worship and, and even fruitfulness, I believe. Okay, so a couple passages, and Paul takes this a little further, doesn't right, he? Right. And let's look, um, Galatians 4, you want to just read that last section? Do we need to read the whole thing? What do you want to do? There? Yeah, let me start in verse 4. In Galatians okay. 4, he's talking about... Um, the, the gospel yeah. with the religious leaders, the Judaizers, and comparing what he's preaching compared to what they are, which is a mixture of law yeah. uh, with Jesus. And he'll say, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that 
we might receive adoption as sons. The so that is always important. Yeah. Why did he do it? So that they would get out of hell and go to heaven. And again, we love that, but that's not the so that. The so that is so he would adopt humanity as sons in his family. Verse six, and because you are sons because of redemption, God has sent the spirit, Holy Spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, and this is where we're getting yeah. this theme, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, so the word heir means? To inherit. You're the, you're the, it's the object of the inheritance. So we are now an heir. We're, we're part of this family. Of a so, father who has, owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He has all the cattle. He has all these sons. Right. And so now what, what is he saying? And when, what is it our, into our hearts crying Abba, Father, what, what's going on there? What's the dynamic of that in our heart? Which it says here, the Spirit is crying yes. that out. In, in Romans 8, it's okay. going to use some of the same language. Um, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear in verse 15, but you received the spirit of adoption, is what he's called there, right. as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's interesting that Galatians, Paul, same author, is going to say it's the spirits in us crying, Abba, Father. But over here it'll say that it's us the, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I, I just like to point that out because we're singing a duet. <laughs> Interesting. I've never thought of that. The Holy Spirit is doing this. He's the Spirit of Jesus, and he's crying out, Abba, Father. But as we're sanctifying, we're joining in the song, in the intimate song, love song of saying Abba, Father, with him. I mean, in Romans, again, it'll say, or no, in, in Galatians, that next verse, he'll say, and our spirits testify, uh, actually, it's in Romans, he testifies with his spirit that we're children of the living God. So um, one of the primary manifestations of our salvation is the Holy Spirit and ourselves together testifying that we're sons and daughters of the living God and crying out, Abba, Father. That phrase is only used three times in the New Testament, in the two places we just said, and then in Mark 14. Jesus cries out, Abba, Father, remove this cup, if possible, from me while he's in the garden. And so it's a anguished cry from a son yeah. to a father when the son is about to take the sin of the whole world and be separated from the father. He cries out arguably one of his most intimate addresses to the father. He'll call him father multiple times, but only there does he say, Abba, Father. And it's that Aramic word Abba. Is it daddy? Or? It's some, there's an argument over that actually. Okay. Some think it does, but some think that downplays it okay. too much. And they say either way, it's from, the, it's a Chaldean word and it's meaning they it was in Babylon that it probably arose okay. among the Aramaic, Aramaic people, the Hebrew people, as they would begin to speak of the father and it would begin prayers. So Abba, Abba was, was kind of had some roots earlier, but then there's pater is the word father. So it's Abba pater is the Greek word that would have been the common word for father then. So it's really for sure a double saying of father, father. And anytime there's a double saying or a triple saying, holy, 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 yes. it's really demarking uh, the clarity and the and the of of what the identity of, of the person is you're calling out. So he's crying from his depths in the middle of anguish, where he's going to bear the yeah. sin of the world, Abba Father, Come. and it says the Spirit now in us is is saying that same kind of intimate depth uh, cry. And so here we are in the middle of that. And so I think that's a real important thing. We do want to learn more Bible as disciples. We want to learn good practices. But 
boy, one of the major identifications at the core of our heart is, are we joining in the Abba Father saying of the Holy Spirit? Are we joining that yeah. duet? And so there, what you're saying is we, every human has a groan in their heart. Yes. They have a heart, a groan to be known intimately, don't right. we? Right. We are created to be free, right. intimate by a father. It's a good, good father. Amen. And it's fun, all the songs even being released in this day. That's right, because the Spirit is emphasizing that. And, and I like the word you said. It's an intimate father who cares, who sees me, who knows everything about me. And so um, I love to say the phrase, Abba, Father. Jesus will teach us in the prayer to address him as our father. Yeah. So he's trying to train a bunch of people who feel shame, who maybe have some hope in their Judaism, but still it's not full. They, they're still feeling the effect of their sin. He's like, I'm gonna remove your sin, but I'm gonna do more than that. I'll remove the sin and pay for the penalty so I can empower you to have the relationship. I wanna get you back in the union, in the Garden of Eden union, the John 15 abiding yeah. life with a father that loves you. And so that's the first groan, but Romans 8 talks about a second groan. It really does. Something else is groaning right now. Mm -hmm. The creation's groaning. And I, I remember when I first just got revelation of this, and, and you know, and I, I've taught on it. So it's interesting. Creation's groaning for what? For Jesus to come back. Well, yes, G for, for this. No, it, creation's groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. That blows, what it says specifically. That blows my mind. And I, help me understand. I mean, what? For sons of God, what? To be revealed with what? Who we are? That's a great. So in 18 of Romans 8, it'll say, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, we're in an age of war, yes. are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, eager expectation for the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, it didn't want this on it, the curse, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The father put the curse on the earth, but yeah. did it in hope, by the way, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and do this, obtain the freedom of the glory <laughs> of the children of God. That's an amazing So statement. you and I now born again, redeemed, growing in our sonship are really prophetic signs of hope yes. to all of the created order that's now struggling with storms and earthquakes and disease. And it knows it's wrong. And it talks about it like the creation has a personality, um, but it is groaning to come into the freedom that you and I have. Yeah, so I actually think of back to Adam and Eve, this fivefold commission, increase, multiply, but then these words subdue right. and to reign and rule. And of course, that'll happen in, in the fullness someday. Right. But right now we're learning um, things are not okay, are they? No. Where we no. look around. That's right. We're, we're close to Broadway. Right. We go a block from here and quickly things are not, they're out of order. And so let's transition to prayer now. Mm. So if I'm operating in sonship, right. As a sense of God, this is, I'm supposed to be, the creation's groaning, things are longing. Now what do I do with my prayer life as a son? Yeah, I come to him first as father okay. in an intimate place, a confident place, an inherited, intimate and inherited place. And the inheritance is that the our big brother, uh, Jesus, has said he's got all authority in heaven and earth. So now we in the Father, who's got the Son, 
the, of God at his right hand, who's by his blood and resurrection has defeated sin, Satan, sickness, and death, we now in Christ, seated in the heavenly realms, can execute that authority. We pray for his glory, but we also pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. So we are speaking over the things on creation and of creation that are not fully redeemed. We're exercising the authority that comes out from our intimacy in the Father. Yeah, so we've been praying in South Broadway. Right. Just literally, we're four blocks from there, and we go in. There's people on our team. They're praying. You know, that's a place of contention of, of real warfare. We go and pray at a hotel maybe six weeks ago. A week later, someone's murdered in the parking lot. In that exact location. And right. so we said, we're going back. We're right. going to pray. The next night, somebody's murdered again. Two murders in the same hotel we're praying in, a city that has... 40 to 50 murders a year, mm. that's not just a coincidence, is right, it? Right, no. And so we're going proclaiming hope, and we know this is the age of war, isn't it? It is. But we do need to go with our eyes and our hearts, seat on the things above, rooted in the king. We're, we're going to win this war, aren't we? Right. And I think it's important in this illustration in the life of the apostles to remember that exercising the authority, we have so much authority in Christ, does not um, preclude or keep us from having kickback yeah. from, a, from an enemy. And I think that that's some of the wrong teaching that happens at times is if you get it right, get enough yeah. faith, get the right principles, say the right words, you'll never have trouble. When actually the, the apostles all ended up in martyrdom or suffering while they're advancing the glory of God and the kingdom of God. It's the great dichotomy, if you will, um, that's a mystery for us of how we're living in glory in the already but the not yet. Yeah. And the enemy's kicking back, so we take that oddly as a confirmation of the war that we're in. So now a team will go down, yeah. pray again, they're gonna take communion, they're gonna worship, and we're not gonna stop. This fuels us for more. Uh, of running to the front lines with the gospel and in prayer with our Father and for His glory. Yeah, and I think the, the beauty about sonship, there's actually no failure. Right. Certainly if I sin, but even in my sin, there's provision, isn't there? That's right. And so it really is this position that I, whatever I do, I'm just gonna, I'm walking with the Father. It may look like earthly success and many come to know the Lord. I may suffer mm -hmm. and I may feel really weak. And yet we know the kingdom is advancing. Isn't that a freedom? Again, I just think it's free being a son. Especially in a race that's lived by sight or feeling and not by faith. And by what we do, we think we're accepted by what we do and how we perform, how much money we have. And so that takes some time to change. Yeah. And the enemy leverages so much in our lives by getting in a state of condemnation, shame, fear, and get our eyes on our performance and how things are happening in our lives instead of our eyes on a good, good father who's fully uh, has given us a hope eternally. Yeah, okay. So as we wrap up, I just want to talk about that word shame a little bit. Yes. I think there's probably people listening. Yeah. We've been there. Or shame covers. It's a, it's a blanket. It's clothes I'm putting on. I, I was created to be vulnerable. Right. Um, why, why do we get shame? Why, why do you think that religion wants me covered up? And, and what keeps me just from sharing? I know Jesus has forgiven me, mm -hmm. and, but yet there's something. Why do people get stuck in shame? Yeah, you know, the first time it happened was because of a believing of a lie. Um, lie got injected through the serpent into Eve. Um, God's not good. God's not good. He's holding back from you. If you eat that tree, he didn't say or promise you'll be God. He said you'll become like God. Well, this is the core of why they exist. They're made in the 
image of God. Right. So he twisted the promise and gave a different source. So when the lie injected in the mind, then she looked at it and saw the tree and it looked good for food and good for gaining wisdom. And she was just amazed and enthralled with this tree. She saw it by sight and not by faith. Yeah. with a lie in her mind, then a change in her heart happens. She suddenly feels that shame because she knows that she's betrayed the word of the Lord and is not operated by life. And so it's a reality that sin kills. Yeah. Sin, there's a law, desire full grown births sin and sin full grown births death. And that shame gets on us and it's the platform on which the accuser of the brethren oppresses and preaches to us. And so I was thinking about my sons and daughters. I, I just love them so much. And they have not been perfect, as I have not been. But when they mess up, I don't put that cloud of shame on them. I'm trying to actually unveil them. I'm trying to take them out of them. I'm trying to invite them back in. There's consequences for what they do, or I'm not a good father. Right. But in the middle of the consequences, I'm affirming my love unto the end to get their hearts in a freer place so they're not trapped by this sin. So uh, it's hard, though, if a son, and I've had this happen with even my family, they feel shame for something yeah. they've done in private or something they've done, whatever, and they can't quite look you in the eye. You can feel that thing off your child, and it's just, it stops any real interchange in them really hearing you. So we've got to be diligent about of, of getting the shame off of us by the blood of Jesus, breaking our agreement with condemnation, beginning by faith to believe that we're sons adopted by the grace of God in the performance of Christ. Yeah, I think being in the church my whole life, being a pastor, a missionary, I think one of the biggest lies is when you're in the church, you've got something that's still not right, and you know that, yep. and then you look around, and it seems like everybody else has their act together. Right. And then you just, you know, yeah, it's whatever that is, I think that's that lie, and you feel like, I can't share this. Right. I'm a pastor, I'm a minister. I, and so, but what I've found is every time you come clean, you realize, hey, how silly that was. Right. Um, and then everybody else is struggling too. And so, yeah, I just, I, I, if you're listening, just want to encourage you. If there's shame over your prayer life, mm. if there's any place, the, the best place is just to start to be open with a brother and sister, isn't it? Yes. Just be open where you're at. And Do be, it in a yeah, safe place. Activate those Bible verses. Confess your sins, First John 1, 9, to the Lord, and he'll forgive you. Uh, vertically, so you feel forgiveness, but then James 5 is 16, so yeah. confess to one another, yeah. and then you'll be healed. There needs to be a forgiveness for the shame, and you need the healing because you need to know the enemy's every day trying to keep you in that bondage of shame. And I, I think it'd be really appropriate right now for you to pray, to pray? and to minister into that for Yeah, people. let's pray a little bit. So Jesus, um, yeah, God, we thank you for yeah this conversation. Jesus, we thank you that we... Um, you made a way for us to be sons, that Jesus, yes. there's a way to, to come back, that you broke that veil, that place where we were outside the veil, and now we have intimacy, and yet, Jesus, we do recognize there's a real enemy that's keeping us um, from having a veil over our hearts, just walking in complete sonship. And so, Jesus, I pray for anybody listening right now over their prayer life, over just personal things they've struggled with, not measuring up in the church, not somehow finding their calling, finding their way, and thinking that somehow it's about what I do. And Jesus, we just pray in the name of Jesus, yes. break that veil. Yes. And break a place of intimacy. Um, just, yeah, we pray over the city of Wichita mm -hmm. for pastors, for leaders, um, those that have been trapped in religious duty, religious performance. Mm -hmm. Break through, and we pray no 
shame and just that we would rest in sonship. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.